you have found that passage, if you'll please rise for the reading and hearing of God's holy word as it comes to us from Hosea chapter 2. We'll read the entirety of the chapter tonight. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I'll hedge up her way with thorns. And I'll build a wall against her so that she cannot find her past. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me than than that of now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I'll put an end to her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. I'll lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I'll make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I'll punish her for the feast days of the bales, when she burned offering to them. She adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I'll allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a valley and door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and as the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal for I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. I'll make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. I'll abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I'll make you lie down in safety. I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I'll have mercy on no mercy, and I'll say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, you may be seated. Tonight, I want to begin not with Hosea, but actually with the book of Proverbs. As you know, Proverbs is the Old Testament book of wisdom, and it is that scriptural book that gives us a the way on which we are to live and the principles of life. And therefore, it pleads for us to hear the instruction, to receive the word, to have our ears be 
attentive, to incline our hearts to understanding so as to be wise. And wisdom in the beginning of the book of Proverbs is personified as a woman, a woman that goes out, cries aloud in the streets, says in the market she raises her voice at the head of every noisy street she cries out at the entrance of the city she speaks and therefore the charge at the beginning of the book of proverbs is to listen to this woman listen to this lady wisdom to receive to treasure to be attentive to to incline to call out to raise up to seek to search Because as it says, for then you shall have understanding and the fear of the Lord. And through it you shall find the knowledge of God. Yet the book of Proverbs goes on to speak of another woman. A woman that is in many ways the opposite of Lady Wisdom. She is an adulterous woman. And Proverbs 7 describes her in this way, dressed as a prostitute, wily of hearts, loud and wayward her feet do not stay at home. With seductive speech she persuades, with smooth talk she compels. She entices the simple to come and traps those lacking sense. And those that go along with such a woman as this do not receive what they think they are going to receive. And before they know it, they are trapped, as the proverb says, like an ox going to slaughter, or like a deer caught in a trap, or a bird in a snare. And it gives this very haunting word and judgment, the person that gets caught with this woman and in her trap, it says in Proverbs 7.23, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And this woman is more than just an adulterous woman. I think Solomon there is using this woman as a personification of all sin and all temptation. Of that which would lead away from the path of wisdom and the path of righteousness away from life and to that of death. And I think tonight as we come to the book of Hosea, we see something the same. As we have seen in the previous two weeks, that this book is a parable in many ways. And yet it's a real life parable. The parable is with Hosea and his wife Gomer and their marriage. But this is not any marriage and Gomer is not any wife. No, Hosea is in an unfaithful marriage because he is married to an unfaithful wife that runs after other lovers. She is, as chapter 1 says, a wife of whoredom. Many believe that she was a prostitute, and yet God commanded that Hosea marry such a woman as this. And why would he do such a thing? Because... She represents Israel as a whole during Hosea's day as they were running after other gods instead of the one true God. And what we see with Proverbs and what we see with Gomer and what we see of Israel as a whole is that 
Their lovers do not provide that which they think they will provide. And this is an analogy for sin as a whole. And yet, amazingly, as Gomer goes after other lovers, as Israel prostitutes themselves, God does not ultimately cut them off. Because he is the one true lover, the good and benevolent beloved, the Lord God himself. And how the Lord allows them to experience some of their own sinfulness, allows them to experience some of their own ruin, not to ultimately cut them off, but so that they will be once again redeemed in the one true love, the love of God himself. And we know that love to be the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that tonight in three points as we prepare ourselves to come to this table. The first is pursuing other lovers. Second is empty love. Third is pursued by the beloved. First, pursuing other lovers. As we said, Hosea was to take a wife of whoredom. Why? Because the land commits great whoredom, chapter 1 says. And so Hosea does just that. It's a stark picture, a parable, a visual sermon of what is taking place in Israel. And not only through their marriage, but also through their children. As we saw last week, each one of the children that they have has significance. Their names are quite odd. That of Jezreel, which means that of bloodshed and no mercy and not my people. Those are not popular names, not now or ever. And yet they demonstrate, I think, the repudiation of the covenant blessings. The blessings that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that Israel was going to be given a land and that they were going to be a great nation and that they were going to be a blessing. And through the names of these children, I think God is saying, yet this is what your harlotry is producing, a repudiation of the blessings that would be yours, the blessings that were promised to you through Father Abraham. And just as these children are offspring of whoredom, illegitimate children, so your whoredom is producing the same Your illegitimate behavior is giving birth to this judgment, this judgment of bloodshed and no mercy and and not being my people. And it's a rightful judgment, and, and yet it's a very difficult judgment for God to proclaim upon his people because God's judgment is never some disinterested decree from on high, as if God was some cold, distant deity saying, you have done this, so I'm going to do this. This is not just some cut and dry legislation. No, there is a relationship there. There is a covenant, and through that covenant, there is love. Many of you have experienced this, either personally or in your family, through The act of divorce. Divorce is hardly a court summary, is it? 
a summary decision handed down by a judge. Oh, if it was that easy. As if you can go from being married to being not just because a judge says that you are no longer legally married. As if life just kind of keeps on going. Now, if you have gone through divorce or if you or some close family member has gone through divorce, then you know that divorce is oftentimes some of the darkest times for yourself, for, for your family. It's like a death. And surely there is a part that dies with that divorce. Because there's relationship there. There is love. And as we have said before, marriage is that earthly picture of God's covenant relationship with mankind. And so when marriages, earthly marriages are destroyed, so too in part is that picture that God has given to us of God's relationship with us, God's relationship with mankind. And that is why I believe God hates divorce. But we see this pain here, do we not? In Hosea chapter 2, the, the difficulty of these judgments being handed down in this broken relationship we see here at the beginning of chapter 2. God saying, as a father would to his children, plead with your mother. This is a call to all the children of Israel to recognize the sin of their mother, the nation of Israel as a whole, the one that has in a sense, given birth to them. And God is saying, you as the children need to plea with that desperate plea, with that passionate plea. Why? Because there is a relationship there. There is a marriage. There is a covenant. Verse 2, the middle portion there, I think should be translated not as the ESV does, but as a rhetorical question. For is she not my wife? And am I not her husband? And that is why there should be this passionate pleading. Because this is my wife. And I am her husband. To plead because this relationship is a marriage, but a marriage that is broken. One that cannot be easily disposed. And therefore there is love, there is a deep bond, there is a holy jealousy on behalf of God. And that jealousy is for the spouse to have the same desire, that same love in return that he has for his wife. And yet this wife doesn't seem to have that love, does not seem to, through her actions, have that desire towards faithfulness. Because as it says in verse 5, for this mother, this wife has played the whore. She is dressed like a prostitute. Verse 13 says that she adores herself with rings and jewelry so so as to go after other lovers. She dresses the part, in other words. Her actions demonstrate her intentions. And her intentions are to pursue other lovers. And not only are those her intentions, but those are her actions as well. 
as it says in verse 5, quoting here, I will go after my lovers. Her intention turns into pursuit. And why does she go after these other lovers? Well, she thinks that there is something to gain by it and through this unfaithful relationship. First is in verse 5, I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. She believes that through her lovers she will have this provision that this is the way to achieve these things that are desired, that are longed for. Perhaps she would even say that these are the things that are needed. These are fleshly, earthly, human needs that she has and they must be fulfilled. I notice those are needs that are not wrong, are they? It says that she longs for bread and water for food. She desires flax and wool for clothing. She desires oil and water for cleansing. Very basic needs, we would say. But it's not the things that are provided that are the problem. It's how they are attained. They are attained through sinful means. And what I think we have here in Hosea chapter 2 through Gomer, which is a parable of Israel, is really how sin and temptation works. Not only just back then, but today. In present day, in 21st century America. That sin has that same path that we see here with Gomer. That there first is this intent. And that intent takes place in the heart. It's a motive of the heart. And then that intent and that motive seeks the object of its desire. The thing desired, whatever that thing may be, it may be something material, it may be something immaterial, it may be something tangible, it may be something intangible. And yet it is desired, it is wanted. Because there's this belief or this thought that it will provide some type of gratification. And once that item of gratification is found, it moves to acquire it. In other words, it moves to action. It moves to fulfillment. It goes from that intent to that desire to that fulfillment, acting upon those impulses, fulfilling that gratification. And then it seeks to be fulfilled in it and through it. And so four, in many ways, very easy steps of intent, desire, action, fulfillment. And that's how you go from temptation to sin. And that can be a very drawn out process over a very long time. Or it can be instantaneous in our heart, and yet I think we always see those four steps in every sin if we would examine our own hearts to see where we have gone astray. James 2.14 puts it this way, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And we see this with Gomer, do we not? Again, a parable of Israel, a parable even of ourselves, if we'd be honest. With Gomer, we see this intention, this dressing as a prostitute. We see this desire, this desire to have another lover. We see that desire go to action, to sin, as she goes after other lovers. And then we see this fulfillment, this gratification, as she finds herself in the arms of another lover. And I think what we should see as we read this book is not how could she do that, but how we so easily do the same. That the sin of Gomer putting this terms becomes very stark to us. It becomes in some sense very jarring. We like to think that our sin is so different than the sin of this woman. And yet we see it's the very same process, is it not? In many ways we are not altogether different than this prostitute. This woman that the scripture calls a whore even. That when we sin, when we pursue other loves, other lovers, we are prostituting ourselves. We are people of whoredom in a similar way. And yet, second then, we see that there is no real love there. It is an empty love. That the end result of sin is some type of fulfillment, some type of gratification, and yet the reality is that sin never produces the fulfillment that we think it will, ever. Sin promises the world, but it provides very little. It produces nothing good. Sure, there is some gratification, there is some fulfillment, otherwise we would not pursue after it, would we? But if we're honest, we would all say that in the end it leaves us empty and hollow, longing for something more. And that is exactly what we see here with Gomer. She doesn't find what she is looking for. It says in verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them. It's as if she's looking for a date, but there's no one to date. She's looking for a dance, but there is no one to dance with. There is no one to fulfill what is she is longing for and desiring because there is no fulfillment in it altogether. It goes on to say in verse 11, and it will be the end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbath, her appointed feasts. That the things that provided joy and happiness, that that joy and happiness is taken away. Rather, in return, is misery. And the reason why is that she went looking for these provisions. She went looking for these fulfillments, thinking that they were found in the hands and in the arms of her lover. But yet, notice what God says in verse 8, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, 
which she in return used for Baal. God is saying, I am the one that has provided all these things. I am the provider. The provider of all her needs. That she need not pursue after them in illegitimate ways. Because I am the source. I am the provider. I am the one that gives true fulfillments. Ultimate gratifications. I am the source of joy and of happiness. And isn't that, again, so true of our sin and so true of the Lord? What does sin provide that the Lord does not? What do we gain that we do not already have in him? Either we have it in him or we do not need it. And in that case, not having it is not a bad thing. No, it is a good thing. He's not withholding something from us because he is trying to keep something from us. No, he's withholding it from us because that thing is not that which is good for us. And that the Lord only provides that which is good and beneficial. It's the lie that is as old as the Garden of Eden itself, as Satan tempted Eve. God is not wanting you to eat of that tree because he knows that when you eat of it, you shall be made like him. So he's withholding it from you because he does not want you to have that good thing. And in reality, we know that there was no good thing through disobedience whatsoever. And so all joy, all happiness, all peace is found in Christ. All misery and trouble is found in sin. Jeremiah puts it this way, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Again, isn't that the truth? Not only is it the forsaking, the one that gives us the ultimate water, but we go after that which can provide none. Proverbs, again, puts it this way. Again, speaking of a woman, a woman folly. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here, she says. And to him who lacks sense, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, the author of Proverbs says, that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. And yet, what we see even though Hosea is faithful to his wife, even though God is faithful to Israel, and even though Gomer pursues after other lovers, and so does Israel, and at times, so do we. And God does not ultimately break his covenant promises to us. And that is what we see in the third point here, is that we're pursued by the beloved. Even though Gomer, Israel, you and I, 
seek after these things to our own ruin. The Lord does not give up on us, does not give up on his unfaithful wife. Notice here in chapter 2 that of the language that is expressed, that the Lord allows her to experience some of the miseries of her own sin, reaping the harvest, so to speak, of her own iniquities. But he is the one that is allowing that to happen. Verse 6, God says, I will hedge her up with thorns. I'll build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. Verse 9, I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax. Verse 11, I will put an end to all her mirth, feast, new moon, Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. Verse 12, I'll lay waste her vines and her fig trees. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. Verse 13, I will punish her. Notice that. God is not idly sitting by as a forlorn lover, twiddling his thumbs, saying, Oh, how I wish she would stop doing that. I wish, oh, wish that she would come back. No, he is actively involved. Pursuing, allowing, dictating, directing, letting his bride experience the misery and the afflictions of her misery. Why? Out of judgment? No, not ultimately. It's so that she would recognize the foolishness of her own sin. As it says in verse 3, I will strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. I will, verse 10, uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. God takes away her provisions, her comfort, her blessings, so that she would see that she has nothing apart from God. No good thing. And all that is left is misery and ruin. Have you ever gone through a time like that before that the Lord has chastised you? It's brought you through deep conviction, perhaps discipline, has allowed difficulty to enter into your life and you know it's directly related to your sin. It is truly miserable. When all is taken away, David, when he goes through this and Psalm 51 says that his strength was sapped from him. But it gets you to the place that you can only look up. It truly is a wilderness experience where there is nothing around to give shelter, to give protection, to give comfort, to give ease. It's like being in the Sahara Desert with the sun beating upon you as God's holiness shines in your life. And that is exactly what Jose is saying is going to happen to Israel. That he's, God is going to allow everything to dry up and to die out so that they would ultimately return to him. And we see even here in chapter 2 that hope, do we not? It says in verse 14, 
Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. So as to do what? It says here, to speak tenderly to her. Notice that. God does this so as to allure her away from these other lovers, to whisk her away, to speak words of kindness and love to her. And here, do we not see the amazing love of God is that God brings about the misery of sin so as to rekindle the relationship, to rekindle the love once again, to restore the covenants. And you might ask, why would God do that? Why would he want to do that? Why would he not just discard the relationship as easily as his bride has done to her relationship to him? And yet once again we see that God is not like us, is he? Thankfully so. He is one that is full of amazing grace and mercy and love. And this love is truly unfathomable to us through our sin and recognize it. We come to faith and repentance and we return. What does God do? As we come back to him, do we see and hear words of correction, of scolding? Why did you do that? Didn't I tell you that's what was going to come? No, those that come again in faith and repentance receive words not of scolding, not of correction, but of grace and mercy and forgiveness and yes, even love. That relationship is restored to us. And we know ultimately as New Covenant believers that this is only made possible because there was only one that was and has been perfectly faithful, the perfect bride, the entirety of his life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and us in him. And that it's through his perfect righteousness that we have these benefits, that we have this mercy, this grace and forgiveness offered to us that through him and all the benefits of the covenant are fulfilled and therefore restored to us even though we have broken that covenant. Christ kept it completely. And so we can see even here in chapter 2 that this covenant is not ultimately taken away. This relationship isn't ultimately broken. And in fact, at the end of chapter 2, we see the reversal of the children's names. Remember, we said the children's names were Jezreel and No Mercy and Not My People. And yet we read in verse 23, And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow. And that is what Jezreel means, I will sow. I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy. And I will say to Lo Ami, which means not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. That yes, through the Lord Jesus Christ, though we have forsaken, though he have left our true love, the true husband, 
faithful one. The Lord Jesus Christ has kept the covenant on our behalf. And instead of sowing judgment, sows mercy and grace. Says to those that deserve no mercy, I give you mercy. To those that should be say, you are not my people. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you are my people. In fact, you are my children. And I am your God. Well, as we go to the table tonight, we see that what we have in Hosea chapter 2 is the equivalent of the prodigal son story in Luke 15. That the prodigal sought the inheritance of his father so as to spend it on reckless living. And he, the scripture says, squandered it. Squandered the entirety of it. So much so that when he had spent everything, that there was nothing left and he had to work as a pig farmer longing for the pods in which the pigs ate. That's how far down, how low he had descended because of his own foolishness and his own sin. And yet in that experience, in that wilderness, if you would, he thought, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here in this far and foreign land. And so he decides to go back, decides to go back as a servant. But you know the rest of the story, do you not? That is, the father saw him. This is a, a long way off. He ran to him. Not to scold him, not to beat him, but to greet him. And to kiss him. And told him to come back into the family. Not as a servant, but as he was a son. And it says that there was much rejoicing in that home. Beloved, the story in Luke 15 is not about the prodigal son, is it? Just like the story of Hosea is not about Gomer. It's about God who brings about the misery of sin so as to welcome back the prodigal. To enter into a marriage again with a prostitute. And God makes them sons and daughters of his. That is the amazing grace. That is the unfathomable love of God. And so this night as we come to this table, let us rejoice again. And give thanks. Let us run to him in faith and repentance. And once having found him, let us not leave his side. For he alone is the one that provides. He alone is the one that fulfills. Amen.